Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of Can We Teach AI to Be Christian? Featuring Harvard-trained data scientist in the field of biostatistics, a man that is far smarter than I am, Sam Tiedemann. I had Sam on last week for part one. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first. Before you listen to this, it sets the table for what we're going to get into in today's episode. Also, if you are a supporter on Patreon, if you are a patron of this podcast that helps ensure that it can be ad-free, then there is a full unedited video of this conversation available exclusively to those who are supporting on Patreon. You can find a link in the description to help me reach my goal of 200 patrons. Now let's pick up where we left off last week with part two of Can We Teach AI to Be Christian? As a practical question, the same, like, so before that kiosk replaces the person at the front desk, who would like actually get the final say, you know, it's like, we're going to roll this thing out. How does that actually like practically work in, in healthcare? Who would yeah. be, be the one that would be like, Hey, this, this, I have to review this. This is still the being reviewed by a... The emergency department yeah, okay. manager would be basically the boss of the emergency department, who is not actually a physician, although they, they are oftentimes a nurse who has gotten promoted um, to that okay. position. And um, they are often, like I said, you know, when, it, when you hear, all right, Paul Ann Leitner, it's your turn. Please come to the front desk. And you hear that over the intercom of the department. That's oftentimes, like I said, the emergency department manager, who's often in a room that you can't see, um, has, you know, decided to, you know, a, a patient just got admitted to the hospital. Their room is open. They clean the bed sheets. They now have a vacancy. Then they, you know, look on their list and they're looking at the urgency of the patients and a time ticker of how long they've been there. Often just like those two pieces of information. Uh, is, you know, the, okay, so the one through five system and how long you've been waiting. They click on that patient, that message gets sent to the whoever has the microphone for the intercom, and then you get called back and then you start getting treated. Um, so but how does that get educational in? background? What, what sort, sort of, of educational background would the pers person in that position need to have? Because the thing I'm trying to get at, Sam, is like whether it's with the human beings in you know, making the decisions within the context of the hospital, or you're going to like outsource that to golly, what you might see as some sort of digital manifestation of the collective <laughs> the mm -hmm. will of the people of that group. Um, to me, this seems like, well, let, let's say the person in charge of making that decision has purely gone like a super hardcore STEM route in their yeah education. I don't even know if that's, that would be what they would go through, but let's say it is, they've had no engagement, real engagement, serious engagement with the humanities, history, philosophy, certainly not theology and our kind of like right. amorphous, weird, secular educational system. And now they're being put in a position where they are making ethical, moral decisions. And what, to me, that seems like you have to have and I know I'm biased in this, but we've got to have much more serious conversation about regaining what we've lost in the the overemphasis of STEM. I love STEM, but the overemphasis of STEM at the expense in our institutions of the humanities, 
philosophy, theology, because that is the sort of thing that's actually, whether they're conscious of it or not, is being consulted in these moral evaluations. There is something there. And the implicit narrative that everyone just assumes is true and objective is not that at all mm -hmm. whatsoever, whether it's like a, a weird extreme Klingon culture or whether you go with some hyper critical theory. Um, I hate this term, but everyone gets it like <laughs> the, the, a very woke um, ethical framework. Either one of those extremes being consulted in that, that situation is the people in it are going to probably think that it's objective. Yeah. And so I think you have to have, you would have to have people in these positions. And I, to me, this like scales all the way up to politics. I've, I've seen stories now where we, we are, um, we are working on and, and I maybe even employing already in the field, like drone strikes driven by AI, right? So instead of human operated drones that we have AI operated, which is just simply taking the input data, right? And here's the parameters. Our politicians are in these vital fields have got to have a more rigorous engagement. I'm not saying it's going to solve everything, but to me, I'm very, the more I think about it, I, I, not to get dystopian, I, I'm not a dystopian left behind. I've got rid of all that dispensationalist fear for the most part. But the thing that I am worried about is uh, the lack of serious engagement with the humanities philosophy and theology in critical places of life or death decision making happening and then that being turned over to ai where their reference points have been people that simply have this strange whether it's like capitalist utilitarian like we just have to maximize profits whatever the the moral matrix is that has not been critically reflected on and evaluated to me that is incredibly concerning and uh, if we don't figure this out with ai in this stage, uh, boy, I don't know what it's going to turn into. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be real weird. And I like I said, it's this weird trying to like this weird assumption that morality is just self-evident and those sorts of things. Like to answer the specific question, what sort of training do these sorts of people have? Oftentimes they were either a nurse who then sort of maybe got promoted to a nurse manager and then became department manager or something like that, in which case their education was purely medical and nursing. Maybe they studied something other than that in undergrad and then got a master's in nursing or something like that. But you can imagine Probably the medical sort of, ethics some point yeah, along the way yeah, right? or, or biology. And maybe there's a medical ethics class, but it's probably just one yeah. class. And it maybe is a little bit like, why are we wasting our time with this? Or sometimes it's like a person who maybe majored in like healthcare administration, which is a thing. Maybe they have like a an MBA in healthcare administration, uh, and then those sorts of classes are often like, okay, here are different management styles. Here's a little bit of accounting, a little bit of finance, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of business strategy, and here and maybe some classes more specific to healthcare. Uh, and, you know, the like maybe a class about the legal, uh, you know, environment of healthcare and stuff like that. Um, but I highly doubt that they are spending too much time thinking about morality uh, and uh, the is ought distinction right? and stuff like that. And so really yeah. their morality then is like their upbringing, their cultural context, their work experience. 
And a lot of it is, you know, just imitating what's already like, you know, you get trained on a job. And most of us, when we're at a new job, we're just trying to figure out what everyone else around us is doing and do our best to imitate that. Uh, you know, I was kind of criticizing the machines for just learning through imitation. Humans mostly learn through imitation, too. It's a great way to learn. Totally. But at some point when you're at the top of the hierarchy and there's no one that you can look around to imitate, then you have to be the sort of moral judgment making Asian that really, you know, a, a human at this point can uniquely be uh, and that you have to be getting feedback based off of your own judgment and stuff like that. And, you know, these sorts of emergency department managers, they'll go to conferences once or twice a year of the other emergency department managers and there'll be presentations about something and, and like the, that sort of ongoing education. And that that's kind of like how they're updating and stuff like that. But you could totally imagine like a particularly woke emergency department manager deciding to make a whole bunch of decisions in their department to reflect that sort of ideology. Or you can imagine a particularly Christian one uh, that was, you know, went to Catholic school and is working for St. Mary's Hospital and really believes in Catholic social teaching and trying to reflect that in their decision making as a as a manager and that sort of thing. But yeah, I... I, I, I'm just worried of repeating myself. We're, we're just moving into this world where we're trying to pretend that our morality is self-evident and objective and, um, high IQ obvious, but really we're just imitating some sort of post-Protestant American, you know, generic moral taste that mm -hmm. we've, uh, that we don't really know how to explain or defend anymore. Because like one story yeah. that I think I kind of hinted at with Verveke, when I had this startup that was trying to build models for emergency departments, like I would ask them like, so in your mind, what's sort of the trade-off between how much money you're spending on nurses and how quickly your patients get seen? What? How do you imagine that trade-off? And it's like, we don't think about that trade-off at all. And what they're not saying is, I'm extremely uncomfortable that you've even asked me that question because I don't know how to answer it. And if I, I'm scared if I put a dollar value on the amount of attention we give to patients, I'm going to seem cold hearted. But it's like, but you already are at some level making that trade-off like if there if there were no trade-off yeah. you would have a thousand nurses just like ready at the drop of a hat to see whatever patient showed up but that wouldn't be financially sustainable so there already is a financial trade-off between how you but it's like well actually i was taught that we should target about um one nurse for every four patients and so I try and keep it close to a four to one ratio. Why a four to one ratio? Why not a five to one ratio? I was taught a four to one ratio, you know, and, and like that, that that's the end of the, the conversation. There's no really deeper consideration than that. It's like and then you can get all you can get even weirder questions than that. It's like, what is the value of the amount of money that you invest to try and save a human life? You know, how much is too much and how, how little is too little? Is it five million, 10 million, 100 million? You know, like, good luck in an answer to that question. That, that 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 makes every human squirm to try and answer that question. But nevertheless, there is some sort of embodiment of the answer to that question in the structures and decisions that an emergency department has already made uh, structurally and collectively. Yeah, and what if you know you got hospital in Washington D.C. I mean, this is absurd, and you've got let's say a, a grandchild of Joe Biden 
comes into the hospital versus some kid that might be an orphan living in, you know, one of the local orphanages. And you're trying to evaluate how much money would we spend to save life of important person versus person that yeah. most would deem as unimportant. Would you right. give different dollar amounts? It almost seems obvious that in a real world situation, that is w what would happen. But yeah. who is to come in and say, no, that is the improper evaluation, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's something, right? There would be something in our Christian story that that as I'm sharing that, probably many listeners and those watching right now would be a little bit irked by, right? And go, well, I don't know if it would be the right decision to instantly give, you know, politician or, or Biden's grandchild uh, preferential treatment over this person. A utilitarian perspective on it might be, or a social Darwinist perspective might be, well, like, this is clearly a more important person. Like, mm -hmm. they will more than likely add more value to the group just based on their family connections. And this other person that we didn't even know existed until they came in here, they don't have as much value. And yet there's something like, and it's, it's weird because it's almost like, the there is a near cousin almost to the way you know gnosticism early early gnostic christianities were almost like if you read the gospel of john and you kind of like know what the gnostics were into you're like oh this is so close where i could see where somebody would get confused to me it's almost similar to what has become kind of like the hard progressive left um you know, uh, critical race theory evaluations of who is, should we deem as more valuable is so closely akin to, I think, like a historic, whether it's Catholic social teaching, historic Christian impulse to look at those two people and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus was born in a stable, you know, like blessed are the poor, um, not just poor in spirit, like that's Matthew's gospel, but in Luke's gospel, it's a Blessed are the poor. There's, there is this like something close to that, that uh, I know, I mean, plenty of churches are working through <laughs> right now where you talk about anything related to social justice and you're going to get pigeonholed or slammed by some in some church context is other you know, pastors going woke again. And then the other side, it's like, well, you throw all of that out, you know, we're not just trying to, um, yeah, we're not just we're not just trying to perpetuate the continuation of some sort of form of social Darwinism with like a religious story on top. Um, I don't know. It's it's very uh, very perplexing, Sam. And I don't know. I don't know what. Okay, let's just say you are running for president of the United States, Sam. And you're on the debate stage, and someone brings this question to you about Sam. How would you? What would you do if we are moving towards AI kiosks, AI decision making when it comes to who gets seen at hospitals? What are you going to do to fix or improve this this problem? Yeah, oh, I don't even know. Like, like I was sort of talking about, I think a situation that we used to have was a little bit healthier when 
it sounds weird that people would pick the hospital of their own denomination or their own ethnic community or something like that. But there, there is something a little bit healthier about that where, you know, if I'm a, you know, the grandchild of Swedish immigrants in Minneapolis and I, my, me and my family go to Swedish covenant whenever we have the choice to do that. It's like you're trusting your community and you also know that if they wrong you, you can spread the news about how they wronged you and that, you know, the doctor, the nurse manager, the CEO of the hospital, you know, the board that the decision board at the hospital or whatever, they're probably living locally within that same community and that will have social ramifications for them. They might be at your church if you're saying, hey, I was in the waiting room for four hours and my kid had COVID and I saw all these other families skip the line in front of me. What was with that, Bob <laughs> or Sven? Um, so, uh, you know, like that, that sort of community feedback with a community that has a more clear moral history, I think is better at solving that than um, this sort of weird uh, impersonal corporatized thing. Like another weird thing about healthcare is that most healthcare is still not for profit. Um, there are some for-profit hospitals, but they're a minority. Most hospitals are not for profit. Like they try, like most hospitals will try and make like say a three to 5% profit margin per year, but that's just so that they can keep, you know, being financially sustainable without needing to collect donations. Because if you're not for profit and you're operating at a loss for a long enough period of time, you either have to go bankrupt or get donations to support you and where those donations coming from. And so, you know, hospitals like try and make a little bit of a profit, but that's just so that they can keep investing into the future uh, at a sustainable rate. They're not trying to maximize profit, they're trying to keep it within a comfortable margin that they've decided upon. And so then it's like, okay, so how are exactly you guys making decisions? Like you don't wanna maximize profit, that's probably for the best. I think that we could all understand that a purely profit maximizing hospital is something that we maybe don't wanna have um, or maybe shouldn't trust. Um, because it will be making decisions that aren't in my interest. And this is this whole other thing, is that there is the interest of the patient, and there's the interest of the hospital system. And that's why if the hospital system and the person are like members of the same community, there can probably be much, much less tension around that, that disagreement. But I, as we move into this world where hospitals are not as connected to the community that their patients come through and much less morally accountable, they're legally accountable, but that's different than being morally accountable within the context of a community, that their interests, the interests of the hospital and the interests of the patients will become increasingly out of alignment and that it'll be harder and harder. And like, I feel this now too. I am like ironically much more skeptical of what doctors try and treat me or my my children with now than I used to be mostly because of my exposure to the healthcare system and like I'm like why are you making that decision you know it's like okay I broke my arm a couple years ago snowboarding well Sam your arm needs surgery does it really need surgery doctor like are you really sure or do you get paid more when you put the nuts and bolts in my arm as opposed to just putting it in a cast like I'm thinking these things and I'm thinking these things because I've been in rooms where these sorts of things are discussed and I have distrust between my own health interests and the decision-making interests 
of the doctors in the hospital system that's treating me. And how do I fix, okay, I'm president of the United States. How do I fix that? I have no clue. And it has something to do with the moral disintegration and the lack of moral coherence of our culture in general. And uh, I have no idea how the president of the United States is supposed to fix that problem. Um, I mean, yeah. I have all sorts brought, of ideas of laws I would pass, but I mean, that fundamental question, I don't know how to fix that fundamental question. I mean, do yeah, are we no, expecting the government assume... to be able to step in and like, if we have full blown, you know, government provide like Medicare for all or something like that so that we don't have health insurance companies mm -hmm. for, uh, anymore. Everyone just has Medicare, like some European countries do things. All right. Are we really going to trust the government to be the person that is advocating our interests or are they going to get corrupted by the medical industry or, you know, all those sorts of things? I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's, it's a yeah. rotten problem. Well, no, that's, yeah, and it's good to think about whether or not, and uh, this can be, maybe it's a uniquely American thing. I don't think it is to think about solutions always having to come from the top down, you know, from some sort of president and from the government to thinking about how, as you're talking, Sam, I just, I feel a sense of like, man, we, we really want thriving churches, thriving yes. churches that could continue and denominations that could continue to build hospitals. Um, and not have to outsource all of them to the state because I would feel much better about a hospital. Let's say there's a, I don't know, let me, a Presbyterian, local Presbyterian hospital. I'm not a Presbyterian, but we'll just pick that, right? And this Presbyterian hospital is actually not just with the, the values and the training that the, they have. The nurses and doctors have gone through a particular, not just like generic school of medicine, but one, let's take, I, I've got a, I've got a friend that's, uh, I think finishing up over at, in Duke in, in the medicine, um, Duke's medical school that I don't know if that's the right name or not. Sorry, Pfeiffer, if you're listening out there. Um, but there's a very unique, um, there's a Duke, a Dukean yeah. perspective. Well, that, that's a, an interesting that thing is that it's replacing the denominational hospitals are um are academic hospitals that have instead of the brand name of a catholic saint love the brand name of local prestigious university with a medical school and so then yeah. we're we're shifting our trust from the denomination uh and the religious formation as our moral guiding framework and story to the academic guiding framework and story but yet i think the the collapse and trust of uh, in these higher institutions of higher learning is also happening too, for good reason, I might say. But uh, so we tried to shift it from religion to academia, but that might not work. Should we trust it into, um, you know, a government run hospital? There are public hospitals like Cook County General, like which is one of the most famous emergency rooms because it's the one that's in all of the TV shows about emergency rooms. Uh, you know, I... I don't trust Cook County with very much as someone who lives in Cook County, right. Illinois. Don't trust them right. very much. Um, should I trust corporate branded hospital X that has this brand that they advertise on TV and to me and stuff like that? And, uh, you know, so, so should I trust a corporation? that is protecting its reputation? Should I trust the government that's doing whatever government things do? Should I trust academia? Should I trust this religious denomination? 
And none of these things seem up to the task at the moment. Yeah. So like my seminary, Bethel Seminary here in St. Paul, they have an undergrad at Bethel University, and it has a very well-known, at least around here, nursing um, uh, school, school of nursing. And we've got two, uh, we've got a couple faith community nurses on staff part-time at our church, just given the demographic of our, our church, it, you know, it's, it's really necessary. And um, it's a wonderful, I mean, it's, people always ask me, like, what's one of the best things that goes on in your church? I go, it's that. Uh, it's the faith community nurses. They're incredible. And I do believe both of them, we just had a change in the last year. So I'd have to ask Allie if this is, if she did go to Bethel or not, but in the past, pretty much all of these nurses had gone to Bethel, uh, for nursing. And I will tell you, because I've come out of that institution and while I'm sure I have some disagreements in general, it's a, uh, I would feel much more comfortable going to a place that I was like, how many Bethel nursing grads are there because mm -hmm. I have a sense that that would have some overlap with my own moral matrix, my guiding story. But then I would also to take it a step further, Sam, I think about, well, what if it actually would be more effective in some regard, you could cut cost, you could maybe, you know, come up with the AI could maybe do things that our computational power of the human brain or even collective human brains working together, maybe the AI could come up with um, maybe an improvement in healthcare, improvement in the way an emergency room runs. But what if as part of that AI's training program, it also was not just getting, you know, the past, um, the past history of how that hospital has functioned in the past, but you're also like inputting it into inputting into it, this whole depth of uh, like Christian theology and ethics that for me would be a really interesting situation where it's like it gets back to Verveke's point about could, can you train the machines to be more wise? Would I be more trusting of going to a hospital where the kiosk has been trained in historic Christian theology and ethics. Now, there's certainly something, plenty of things that could go wrong in that situation, but that to me would be really, really interesting. And it brings up the question of like, okay, as this stuff becomes more normative, because I don't want to say it's inevitable, Sam, and you would have a better vantage point on this, but that to me seems like we're, we're going to see more AI decision makers happening in healthcare in the very yeah. near future. Is that and, pretty and fair? I, yes, I think so. And there are some things that AI is really good at. Like one thing that AI is really good at is like diagnosing breast cancer on a mammogram. And it can do that yep. with a higher degree of accuracy and much cheaper often is the case now than a, um, you know, whatever doctor, whatever oncologist would have been looking at the picture of a mammogram. And, you know, you can imagine that situation is actually pretty ideal for AI because you give it a bunch of historical data. Did this person go on to get diagnosed with breast cancer? Yes or no. It's very easy to classify that. And it's a very morally unambiguous task. Make the right decision of whether this mammogram has breast cancer or not. There's, there's very little moral complexity to that question. So it's a very good one for mm -hmm. AI. And, you know, looking at all the different pixels and stuff like that through AI vision, that it's actually that that one, you know, is an example of something I'm like, great. 
so we can have higher accuracy for cheaper, faster on mammograms and other sorts of, you know, scans that you can turn into a digitized picture, feed the pixels through an AI machine, and it's been trained on a whole bunch of these pictures to say, this one goes on to have cancer, this one doesn't. You know, like, great, okay, that, that one, no problem with, because it's a relatively um, constrained and focused problem. And AI needs very constrained and focused problems that are not morally ambiguous. So you're saying, could we try and input like a Christian morality, such as what nurses are being formed with at Bethel into an AI? But the challenge is, is like, well, um, Paul, could you write all of that in if then statements for me? Uh, could you write a list of 10,000 if then statements that fully encapsulate this idea of moral uh, of a Christian moral framework. Uh, and if you can't digitize it, it <laughs> go ahead. How, how would it be different, Sam? And uh, this is, I'm not arguing with you. This is literally, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> it's not my, sure. not my <laughs> area of competency. Um, how would it be different? So for example, sometimes what I might do if I'm preparing for a sermon is I will go into chat GPT and I will put in what uh like my sermon text or maybe a section of it and i will ask the question evaluate what i uh this or maybe i'll just give a scripture text say i'm i'm uh doing some expository preaching on this particular scripture text tell me how a lutheran preacher would preach this tell me how an anglican and i will actually give it these different like commands for heuristic lenses. Now it's not perfect, but it's interesting. I will sometimes do that with extremes. Like uh, give me a, the way a liberation theologian would preach this scripture text. And one of the reasons why I do that is because I know I have biases and so, and, but I, we have to have biases, but I'm wanting to check doing some like opponent processing here. I'm trying to check my biases up against like, Oh, how would I do this? And so I've seen it do that and it's not perfect, but it definitely catches the differences in many regards to like Ephesians one. How is uh, Greg Boyd going to preach Ephesians one versus John Piper? Right. And mm -hmm. it can, it can do that, like put on that heuristic lens. Why couldn't it do that with you've inputted, you know, whether it's, let's just say, you know, all the great Catholic theologians of the past, it's got Aquinas and Augustine and it's, and you are essentially programming it to put on that heuristic lens and interpret the situation given the vast history of how in the past Christians have regarded, again, the silly example of important person, Joe Biden's grandchild comes into the emergency room and they only have a fever and kid from the slums comes in and they have, you know, uh, you know, they've, they've got some sort of much more extreme condition. How do we evaluate who gets in first? Right. And to me, it would be like, is it possible for the AI to learn Christian morality or a particular subset of Christian morality, maybe through a Baptist or Presbyterian lens insofar as it could come up with something that would be like, this would more than likely be the proper decision because what it's really good at is just detecting patterns detecting yeah. patterns in a way that I actually might not be able to catch. Uh, it can dedicate all its processing power to finding, figuring out whether or not that mammogram detects bre breast cancer or not. Can't it do the same thing with a collection of texts to be like, 
here is the pattern when it comes to, um, you know, I, it, how you would then filter that into who gets seen first in a hospital is still tricky, but I'm just curious. I don't see why you couldn't have a Presbyterian AI or a yeah. Baptist so, AI or Catholic AI. Part of the problem is it has no comprehension of what it's saying. So it doesn't know how to turn it into action. So I, we could ask oh, ChatGPT, how could, how would um, the uh, Klingon society make triaging decisions in their emergency departments versus how would the Vulcan society make these decisions? And it will write us something. <laughs> and, and I bet that there, it might even be kind of right. You know, and we would read it and be like, yeah, that 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 wasn't half bad. I would maybe to I, I maybe I could have written it better, but that's that's generally right. OK, it has no idea or no ability whatsoever to turn that those couple paragraphs that it just wrote you into a decision in an, the emergency department. Because it is just blabbing out text. And so if we are like. If like, okay, chat GPT, great, you're in charge of the emergency department. It doesn't know what to, it, it, it has no ability to actually do anything other than generate text that is imitating things from its training data in response to your prompt. And so it's like, which of these, and like you could maybe ask it, all right, I've got this patient and I've got this patient. Uh, and um, how would a Klingon make this decision and how would a Vulcan make this decision? And it will say, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Klingon might choose patient A, the Vulcans might choose patient B. But then a human says to be like, all right, okay, I'm going to call on the intercom and maybe you could integrate this at some level and maybe you could eventually get it like across the finish line. But my point is, is like, you can, like I said this to Verviki, you can ask ChatGPT for an excellent apple pie recipe, and I'm sure it'll give you a good apple pie recipe. It doesn't have the least idea how to make an apple pie. Uh, and it has no ability to turn its own ability to generate an apple pie recipe into making an actual apple pie because it's just a text generation thing. And so to turn the text into an actual decision that's making you know action in the world still requires all of the human abilities that interface with reality. And it doesn't have any of that comprehension. Like we use comprehension, like you might not know how to make some obscure Chinese food recipe, but you know how to follow a recipe. And so I give you the verbal text of a recipe, but you're using your comprehension to translate from propositional knowledge into procedural knowledge and your experience doing that to accomplish making a new Chinese food recipe that you've never made before. And it won't be as good the first time as if you were to do it, you know, 20 or 30 times, but you can still do it. And you can know how to make it better, right? Like that's that's the other thing. It's like, yes. you can be like the first time, eh, this was too spicy. I underdid the noodles. I overdid this, blah, 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 blah. Next time, even though I'm like still within the parameters of the recipe, I'm going to keep in mind I could have done this slightly differently because the recipe isn't exhaustive. It's just helpful enough. And so you iterate and iterate and iterate based off of your own judgment of what you like. And the 30th time you make that new Chinese food recipe, it'll be better than the first time. AI has still nothing like this ability to, to do that sort of thing. And so while you could ask ChatGPT, how would the Presbyterians run their hospital versus how would Duke run the hospital? Um, and it could maybe give some sort of difference that might have some sort of verbal insight and correctness to it. It won't know what to do 
to implement that because it doesn't have any ability to go from verbal propositions to comprehension to enacted decision. Hmm. Yeah, there seems to be one other element, and I know we need to wrap up here, Sam, but this just made me think and about my, and I, we have some shared Pentecostal uh, experiences, the, the strangeness of how uh, the strangeness, sorry about those notifications there. Um, the strangeness of how oftentimes decisions about life in Pentecostal, not a strangeness in that it's just different than seemingly anything <laughs> AI uniqueness. is doing or what yeah. we're even talking about here. Consulting the spirit in a way that um, is you are not necessarily employing the same processes of rational evaluating. Um, I think about one huge decision in my life, which was in college. You know, I had a basketball scholarship to a Catholic university and um, I was registered for classes, going to orientation. I was sitting through orientation and I had this sense that I was making the wrong decision. Maybe it was anxiety. I, I still don't know in hindsight what you know, how to best evaluate it. Um, you know, my mom was there who's like, she gets up every morning to pray 5am deeply, what I would consider deeply spirit filled very much. And, uh, someone that would intuit the spirit in ways that actually produces fruit in people's lives. So I felt trustworthy. And I was like, this is what I'm, I'm feeling again, hindsight, maybe it was just anxiety. I don't know. And I walked out and left and gave up my scholarship and gave up um gave up that and ended up ended up a couple weeks later getting a, a, you know still getting a scholarship to another school that I do think ended up being the right decision but I think about that process of intuition of discerning the spirit and uh you know sometimes like Kierkegaard would call it the the, the teleological suspension of the ethical which is, you know, for, for Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac, there was, as a knight of faith, he realized that it was the voice of the Lord and also trusted that God would still, even if he were to have to sacrifice his son, that God would be able to raise him up. And so there was like a, what Kierkegaard called the, the suspension of the ethical, which was part of even like a, a higher stage of development, the religious stage over the ethical stage where you can actually like follow the Lord in a way in which it might seem to go beyond rational ethical decision making, which is an interesting part of the human experience that I, uh, I know we cannot currently mimic in any way, shape or form with AI, which is a very fascinating thing. Like if you picture a nurse in a hospital or whoever's at that front desk and they just get this, what we might call like inner witness that this person, like this might be a life or death thing, even though all the other like rational inputs are saying, no, oh, it might just be COVID that that seems mm -hmm. to be what's going on. But they get this like inner witness, this unction from the spirit that there is something more serious going on or there is like this person needs to be seen for whatever reason it goes beyond what we're able to compute. Maybe it's factors that go beyond like this kid has to, this parent is on the verge of suicide, right? And if their kid doesn't get treated and they sit in the hospital for another six hours, maybe that's it. There are factors beyond what we could actually input 
that the Spirit's direction is taking all of that in and leading us in a way that I think um, there's dangers to, obviously. We all we both know plenty of experiences where people who are like claiming to be Spirit-led in decision-making, just it was anxiety or depression or f- utter foolishness. But other instances where it was like, no, there was something there that was beyond what it, like an AI could do, beyond what we might say is just here are the the logical parameters for making an effective utilitarian mm-hmm. decision in this moment. And I think that's a fascinating feature of all of the human experience that um, I still don't, I'm still working through what to do yeah. with it at all, Sam. Yeah. So I, what I'm hearing you say is we need more Pentecostal hospitals. <laughs> we need the, yeah, right? we need the first assemblies of God hospital downtown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, Sam, uh, I know we well, brought, we've got I, to wrap I up get here. Going. There's so much more yeah. we can talk about. Yeah. This was really fascinating. Well, thanks for your time, Sam. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get together again. We will just keep having periodical check ins because there's so many things you're so well read uh, on a variety of subjects. I know we've been wanting to talk more about like evolution and theology and problem of evil i think we had talked about a while back and never got around to so let's do it again soon all right sounds good thank you very much paul well everyone that concludes this short series can we teach ai to be christian do you want to hear more episodes involving questions around theology ethics and artificial intelligence let me know maybe there's some experts in the field that you think i'd love to see that you talk to this person on the program paul Let me know in the discussion forum for this episode on Patreon. Uh, Each episode, we have a discussion forum where you can contribute. There's also a Deep Talks Discord server. And by supporting this podcast on Patreon, you get access to that as well. One other thing that we do is we uh, get together and have uh, group discussions on Zoom. And those are fantastic. Uh, Those are available for those that are supporting at the 15 buck a month level or higher. And with that also comes very special thanks at the end of each episode, like I'm about to do right now, thanking Clint, Brandon, Brent, Daniel, Dave, Eli, Garth, Jean-Marc, Jesse, Jesse P., John Mark, Josie, J. Tom, Justin, Kate, Lola, Luke H., Matthew, Paul, Rob, Sam P., and Stephen H., Oh, yes, and Tim Baker. Sorry, Tim, I almost missed your name at the end of that list. Shout out to Tim. Thank you for your support as well, Tim. I love hearing from all of you. Please make sure you reach out to me and share with me your thoughts. Of course, these conversations with guests are fun. The lectures are fun to do. But you know what? What really makes the magic happen is when I get to hear back from you the things you're learning, the points of agreement, the points even of disagreement, all of that stuff. Reach out to me. Let me know what you're thinking. And until next time, we'll talk again soon.